Well, good morning, and thank you. Thank you. Um, my name is Brent Sadler. Um, my wife, Noelle, and our six children are with us today. Uh, five girls, Ann, Lydia, Joy, Faith, and Pearl, and our son, Luke. Um, it is the army that God has used to brought, bring us to El Paso. We've been here almost a year and a half now. We're so grateful to be here. Uh, we heard of the saints at Las Tierras before we got here. Um, actually, it was about 14 years ago for me. Uh, I was interning at Park City's Presbyterian in Dallas, uh, and that was when uh, Pastor Padilla was first coming for Southwest Church Planning Network meetings uh, back in the day. And uh, who knew in God's providence that I would get to stand in his pulpit um, here uh, on this Lord's Day, the first Lord's Day of September. So thank you for your warm welcome. We extend uh, the warm welcome to those of you joining us online. If you are uh, visiting Las Tierras for the first time, um, I want to thank uh, Pastor Padilla and the session uh, for allowing me the privilege of preaching God's word um, today. So you heard the word from Psalm 139. I'll read it uh, as we go through uh, our sections of our sermon today, but I want to start uh, with an introduction. My sermon is called The People Who Know Their God, and it was the last time that there was an Army four-day. You may have heard of four days in the Army. Uh, it's We call it in First Armored Division a long weekend. Uh, it's where you get Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off. Well, last time we had a four-day, um, I sat down at the very end of the four-day and started reading this book that I'd had for about 10 years. Um, I, start, I got it in Germany um, in about 2010 uh, when I was pastoring there in a military community, and it's called When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. Maybe you've heard of that book before. It's been, uh, been out for some time. Uh, and I'd read at it. You have books like that where you kind of read at them for years, and then finally it's like it gets ripe. And it's time to read it. That's what happened. Uh, well, I think it was the Memorial Day four day. Um, so I sat down to read it, and I was like, Lord, this is, this is the book right now that you need for me. What I realized during reading this book was that what was lacking in my life uh, was the fear of God. Right? Uh, creeps in so fast, the fear of man uh, every day uh, for me. And what I was lacking was the fear of God. I realized that what I careened between, this is the conviction that happened in my heart while I was reading this book, I careened between either wanting to be worthy of people's worship and expecting that in life, or feeling just all out worthless. And it was kind of a careen in my life. There were maybe times when I was doing better uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but in the flesh my, my careening was feeling worthy of people's worship. Why are people worshiping me? Right? I'm performing. Uh, and, then, and then just feeling worthless. And at the end of the book, uh, Ed Welch says, if you're struggling with some of these things, I recommend that you memorize Psalm 139. And so I said, that's me. Um, I need to read it. So it's been my, my daily devotions. And so when Pastor uh, Padilla said, hey, would you come preach? It was kind of been in my heart ever since, a few months ago. I think Psalm 139 is what I'm going to bring. So that's what we're in today. You probably have some familiarity with this psalm. Um, I've known it at different seasons of my life for different things, and I'll talk about some of those as we go on, but at the end of the day, it's about the fear of God, which actually includes the gospel. It's not separate from the gospel, Um, and this is a description of it here. In the mouth of David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, we see David here. He fears God as a son, and so my title comes off the, uh, it's a takeoff of that first great chapter of uh, the book. Knowing God by J.I. Packer, my sermon title is The People Who Know Their God, right? And David knows his God here. So we'll look at a couple things. First of all, there's two big things with, with some subpoints. First of all, the people who know their God are amazed at and admire his perfections. That's what we see in verses 1 to 22. David is amazed at and admires God's perfections. 
All right, you may have um, be familiar with this psalm, but look, look at it with me. First of all, he's amazed at and admires God's perfect knowledge. Verses 1 to 6. I'm going to read this as we go on for each point. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What he's amazed at and admires here is the perfect knowledge of God. You could call it the omniscience, but as one preacher, Ligon Duncan, said, it's really even more than God's omniscience. It's, it's his perfect knowledge. It's how perfect his knowledge is. He says, David, uh, David says here, God sees me, he knows me. This has always been precious for the believer. This is not like the eye of Sauron, right? Where it's like, I'm, I'm seen and I'm scared. No, this is, I'm seen and I'm comforted because of the God and the character of the God who sees me. Remember what Abraham said when he walked up Mount Moriah? He took his son, his only son, uh, Isaac, with him. Do you remember this? And he was to slay his son, right, in an act of obedience. And the Lord even mentions his own fear, right? Now I know that you fear God. And he says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Uh, And he looked, and there was a ram caught in a thicket. And what did Abraham say? He said, you are a God of seeing. He said, Jehovah Jireh is the name of God that he mentions there. On, this, on the mount, the Lord will provide it, and the Lord has provided it. He takes comfort that God sees and that God provides. He takes comfort in the perfect knowledge of God. And that's what David takes comfort in here. We have to be honest, though. Just coming at this first blush... Um, it's, it's right and it's honest to say, without Jesus Christ, that is a scary thought to me. God seeing me and knowing me perfectly. Right? I hear it said all the time, God knows my heart. Yes, He does. And He knows my heart. And it is, it is full of sin. And He knows that ten times, a thousand times, right? More than I do. He knows things that I don't even see. So it is a solemn truth. But through the Gospel and through Christ and as David here as a believer... And as Abraham did in Genesis 22, it's such a comfort. God who knows me and loves me despite my sins, who sent His Son at the right time, even when we were weak for His Son, Lord Jesus, to die for us, He knows me perfectly. May bring some comfort to someone here today who's here and thinks, I don't know if anybody sees, and I'm not sure if God sees anymore. Brother or sister, He does. Behold the perfect knowledge of God. Second of all, the perfect presence of God in verses 7 to 12. I'm going to read these two. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. And the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Here we see David admiring and being amazed at God and admiring Him for His perfect presence. His perfect presence. I haven't had my, uh, 
my nods training yet, my night, night ocular device training yet, but I know that uh, it's going to get dark in the desert in the next few months when I go to the field, and uh, it's going to be easy in those dark moments to think, right, I'm, I'm all alone. But here, David says, no, God is perfectly present even there. He says, God's present if I flee from Him, starting to remind me of Jonah. He says, God is present even in Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for the grave. God is present even in the grave because, first of all, by virtue of being creator and creating the heavens and the earth, God is uh, present everywhere. But uh, also because His Son, the Lord Jesus, sanctified the grave for believers. God is present even there. That's what our Shorter Catechism reminds us of, that even when we die, our bodies uh, rest in the grave and are still united to Christ until the resurrection. So the believer can say this with David, if I make my bed even in the grave, you are there. These are the very words that Jonah used. If you remember, uh, when he was in the belly of the fish, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Not that the belly of the fish was the grave, but that it was a picture of it, because if you remember, Jesus will later say that Jonah being in the grave three days and three nights was a foreshadowing and a foretelling of his death. If his being under the power of death for a time, three days and three nights, right, before he was resurrected. This reminds the believer, the New Testament believer, of the Lord Jesus, and even the Lord Jesus, the gospel uh, being pictured in the story of Jonah coming up to this point. So he takes comfort He is amazed at and admires the perfect presence of God. The third thing is that he takes comfort and admires and he admires and is amazed by the perfect creation of God, verses 13 to 18. These are the words that I remember first discovering in Psalm 139. It's the fearfully and wonderfully made Psalm. Uh, Maybe you remember that one too. This is where they come from. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. He talks about God's perfect creation and God's knowledge of His creation. And he says, God, you made me. You know me. He speaks here from conception uh, all the way to... I I believe he's referring to resurrection when he says, I awake, and I am still with you. I've often thought that that simply means going to sleep and waking up, but... You look at the bookends of life that he's comparing here from conception. I think he's pointing to resurrection. He's even giving us a foreshadowing of resurrection when he talks about awaking. Because we have to think when we're thinking about the perfection of creation. Well, creation was made holy, righteous, and perfect, right? But, but we sinned. In Adam's sin, we all fell. And so we do die. And so the Bible often talks about death for the believer as sleep because... Because it doesn't last forever. Because there's resurrection. Because there's resurrection hope. So he speaks of the perfect creation of God there. There's so many things we could say about that section. Um, but he says, God knows me, every fiber of my being. And this, this leads me to a story I kind of want to tell you. I've uh, for years held my 
uh, finger, oftentimes in this very Bible, in that very section of Scripture when I've walked into hospitals. Because I've thought, what better psalm to read to a believer who's about to undergo surgery, who's about to go under anesthesia, right? I awake and I'm still with you. All these things, God knows me. His, his thoughts of me are more than the sand of the sea. How comforting is that to you when you're about to undergo something difficult, right? Uh, but, uh, but it leads me into our third section, the perfect holiness of God, because quite frankly, I never read these verses in the hospital, the next ones. I would always catch at these and say, I don't think I can read those right now to this person. Read these with me, if you will. Verses 19 to 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I count them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So there was one time I think I did say, shoot, I'm just going to do it, and I read it, like at a hospital bed. And afterwards I was like, "Ah, I don't think that helped them at all. You know, (laughs) I wish I hadn't read those verses. Uh, And you know, it bothers the believer, right? I know all of God's word, right? It's perfect. It's breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. But to be honest with you, this is where I stick in this psalm. This is where this psalm sticks in my craw. Um... I'm not saying I don't have a theology that can hold it. I do. But I'm talking experientially. Like saying this, reading this. If we were to sing this today, singing this part, I think it would be the part where if there were visitors, we'd be like, I wonder what they think of that part. Um, Well, here David is talking about the perfect holiness of God. Um, And the perfect holiness of God does make us uncomfortable. And it should In his book, The Holiness of God, R.C. Sproul says in his introduction, uh, the night of my conversion was the night that God uh, convinced me of his perfect holiness, and it was very uncomfortable. Uh, Paul Washer has famously uh, given this illustration. If you were tonight to meet in the uh, high desert here, your choice between a maniac or an alien, which would you choose? Not a great set of choices, but if you had to pick, my kids give me choices like that all the time, right? Um, yeah. Um, if you had to dive eating your favorite food or dive eating your least favorite food, which one would you rather do? <laughs> Neither. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of that choice. Um, would you rather meet an alien in the high desert tonight, or would you rather meet a maniac? Paul Washer says he, he believes, and I agree with him. As humans, we're almost always going to pick the maniac, because the maniac's human. I know how to get away from a human for the most part, right? I know how to handle humans. They're enough like me, right? The maniac is enough like me. Um, But an alien is wholly other. An alien is different. An alien makes me very uncomfortable. The holiness of God is his set-apartness. It's how he's different. It's how he's other. And when we read of the holiness of God in Scripture as sinners... I think there would be something of of moralism or of legalism in it for us if we were just like, yep, that's exactly right. I hate the wicked. Right? Just just without without going, wait a minute. I I see a lot of myself in that, right? But for the grace of God, there goes I. How how do I say this? Right? Doesn't John 3.16, isn't that true? And aren't I supposed to love the world, be in the world and not of it? 
Now, this is, a, this is a verse that points us to Jesus, number one. shows us how David points us to Jesus. This is Jesus, whose emotions were perfect, right? Led by the Spirit, who could say this, and yet love, right, the, um, the, the rich young ruler, and yet also say this. And this brings us to the confrontation with God's holiness. God set apartness. God is not the God I would fashion if I could make a God. I would make a God easy. But God has revealed Himself in His Word. God has revealed Himself in His law. Remember what, uh, what does Isaiah say when he has a glimpse of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6? Holy, holy, holy. And I am undone. That's right. I see some of you saying that, right? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Right? God is holy. God is righteous. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that, uh, that it is His law that summarizes and shows us what righteousness is. And it's interesting, David here actually references the third commandment. Your enemies take your name in vain, commandment number three, right? He's thinking of the law. The law shows us God's righteous requirement. The law, um, there's a mirror in this room. The, The law is like a mirror, right? It shows us our face. And what does a sinner see when they look into the law? They see that their face is dirty, dirty with sin. And that is what God's perfect holiness shows us. God's righteous requirement shows us our face. It shows us our sin. It shows us our need. I think that's part of why this is the section of Psalm 139 where it kind of feels so good for a while. And then it, ah, verses 19 to 22. Well, the law prepares us for God's provision in Christ. Where God and through whom God fulfilled all righteousness. Remember at, um, at his baptism. When John said, I need to be baptized for you, by you, not you by me. And Jesus says, Thus let it be so for now, to fulfill all righteousness. Because that's what he had come to do. To fulfill all righteousness. And all throughout his ministry, that's what he's doing. He's, he's fulfilling all righteousness. He's, he's walking the steps out that I should have walked. Right? He's living the life that I should have lived, that you should have lived. It's, it's what we call his active obedience uh, so often. What he's doing is he's earning heaven for sinners. And that's what the law points us to our need of. I need someone to walk that out for me, to meet that righteous requirement. And the Lord Jesus has, praise God. And He's also met out the law's righteous requirement that the soul who sins shall die. And Jesus, in what we call His passive obedience, has also met that out. He, he, er, he earned heaven for sinners in His perfect life, and He bore hell for sinners in His death on the cross. The holiness of God even though it makes us feel uncomfortable, right? Even though it makes us for a moment go, I don't know if I like those verses, right? They're sweet because they prepare us for the gospel. And the gospel is the only way that we can get through those verses into verses 23 to 24, which is where David says, this is our second big point. We had a first point with four subpoints, and our second point is the people who know their God are actually satisfied with Him. With his perfect creation, his perfect knowledge, his perfect presence, and even his perfect holiness because of Christ. And so God's people are satisfied with him. And they want to respond to him. And they want to know him further. And there's a fear, like the fear maybe of the, the law in town. There's a fear uh, of, um, there's one fear that doesn't want a relationship, right? I fear the El Paso Police Department. I fear the MPs on base. I don't want a relationship with them. I don't want to know them. Right? But the fear of God says, I want to know Him. 
Right? I want to know this God. After being searched, after coming in the, into the knowledge of God's holiness, he doesn't say no more of this. Right? Instead, he says, you're a loving Father. Search me. Know me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there can be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I believe this is what I, I heard, uh, I've heard said from this pulpit before. I believe this is one of those moments where, where David is saying, you know what I've realized? I realized I'm, I'm worse than I thought. But I'm more loved than I could have ever imagined. And God is a better father than I ever imagined. And God is a better God than I ever imagined. He's big. And I'm small. Praise be God. Right? Praise be the Lord. So here's what we see. The people who know their God. They're amazed at and admire His perfections. And they're satisfied with Him. It is enough to know God. What does the prophet say? Let not the rich man boast in his riches or the strong man boast in his might. But let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me. That's what the fear of God is. It's, it's not the fear of a slave. It's the fear of a son. The fear of God rightly integrates those two things that we can't ever keep together, religion and relationship. The fear of God puts those together. That's what the fear of God is. It's, it's true religion. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what Psalm 139 puts before us. Would you pray with me before we receive the Holy Supper?